welcome to the AFA Podcast, the official podcast for AnimationForAdults.com. Welcome to episode 29. I'm Rachel, and I'm joined today by Jill. Hey, Jill. Hey, Rachel. How have you been? I've been good. How have you been? Uh, trying to stay well and out of, uh, keep from getting a cold. Lots of vitamin C, but um, I hear it's been very, very busy for you. It's why we haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> Yes, it's been very busy at the hospital. Lots of cold, lots of flu. So make sure plenty of rest, plenty of fluids, and wash your hands. Yep, all all the basic essentials. But it's yes. really, really good to have you back on the podcast so we can talk some uh, animation news. And more importantly, the topic for today's episode is going to be Kung Fu Panda 3, which you recently saw, correct? Yes, and I believe you saw it too. Yeah, I managed to squeeze in some time this past weekend to see it on uh saturday saturday night and it was i gave my initial impression in last uh last week or this recent podcast and uh but i didn't want to i wanted to hold off on any uh major details until we had a chance to talk about it nice so yeah i will mention at the very beginning of this i'm not entirely sure how where our discussion about that movie is going to go from here so i'm going to say right now spoiler warning just in you know just off the front so <laughs> In case we do start getting into detail. Probably safe. <laughs> yeah, just so. You have mm-hmm. been warned. You have been warned. <laughs> but uh, before we get into that, we're going to just go uh, talk about a different couple topics, um, mainly in the news. But uh, before we get started, I wanted to um, ask Jill, since the last time we uh, heard from you, you said you were going uh, you were going to an expo. I forget the name. What was it called again? It's called the Creative Talent Network Expo. All right, and uh, how, did, how was that? Well, that was back in November, so please forgive me for the delayed podcast reaction. Uh, but that was actually really fantastic. If you have any interest in animation and getting into the industry or you just really appreciate animation, that is an expo that you should definitely attend. Uh, there's a lot of passionate people there about animation, Uh, There's a lot of animation heavy hitters there, as well as up-and-coming people in the industry. And it's where you can actually meet a lot of the people that inspire you in animation. I mean, I had the pleasure of meeting Brittany Lee at her booth, uh, where she was displaying a lot of her artwork and even selling her artwork. Uh, I saw Darren Nefsey, the creator of Star Wars The Horses of Evil, walking along the floor did not approach her that was very it was just amazing just seeing her um and then while waiting in line to go to a panel and just i randomly look up and there's dean deploy the director of the dragon films and standing right across from me (laughs) so it's just it's just a really amazing inspiring place to be uh i talked to a lot of people while i was there and everyone was just very excited to be there to be with people that recognized animation not just as a genre but as an art form and really took it seriously and could really appreciate it for what it was. I think as one one of the people I talked to put it, she basically described it as like she found her people and everything. And I had the same feeling. Like I I found my people. Like these are my kind of folks. 
and everything. So it was a, it was really exciting to go to. It's very overwhelming. I don't recommend trying to do it all in one day like I did. Oh boy, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. With as many like as starstruck as this place as this whole thing sounds, I mean, yeah, that's definitely something you would want to space out for a couple like a day or so. Yeah, yeah, you need to space it out over the full weekend, not not just a single day like I did. But I didn't really have a choice with my car trouble, unfortunately, Aww. that weekend. Um, but yeah, it's really fantastic to go to it. Uh, the badge prices can be expensive, but in all honesty, I. I think it's worth it if you're really looking to get into the industry or you really just want to meet people that you admire and that inspire you in your art or just in your general life. Uh, So, yeah, I have to thank the expo for uh, allowing me to attend as part of the press. And I really have to congratulate them on that event. They do a really good job and it's a really fantastic event. And I hope it keeps going on for many years to come. That's really great. Um, like, and could you give an idea, like, what kind of uh, panels? Like, I know you said you mentioned uh, there were a bunch of different panels that you went to go see. Like, were they all just like on various like different type types of animation? Or I just went to the one panel because in order to get into a lot of panels, you needed to wait um, ah, yeah. upwards of like an hour. And I know I waited an hour for the one I went to, which was the Kung Fu Panda Three preview panel. Uh, with the director, Jennifer Young Nelson, as well as several other crew members. Um, But there's panels that are basically like demonstrations of different art styles. Um, There were uh, different artists on the actual convention floor just doing demonstrations of drawings or paintings and stuff like drawing right in front of you Mm -hmm. and everything or like painting right in front of you and you had uh, cameras on the actual paper so you could see the technique they were using and everything and people could interact with them and ask them questions about their technique and everything so it's also a great place to go and learn if you're looking to improve in your art form yeah learn learn from the pros (laughs) exactly and there were a lot of pros doing different demonstrations uh it's been so long so i can't name any off the top of my head right now but all right But yeah, it was it was very cool to see that they do that on the floors to where you don't have to wait. You just come up and you can watch for as long as you want. And then you can ask them questions and everything and get um, get feedback and stuff. And you could also do portfolio reviews. A lot of the big studios are there doing portfolio reviews. Oh, my goodness. With, That's yes. awesome. Mm-hmm. So like I said, if you want to get into the industry, it's a great area to get into to make, the, to make those connections, to see what people think of your portfolio and see how you can improve upon it in order to make yourself more marketable. Um, And then, yeah, just the different panels. There's a lot of different choices. So you kind of, you won't be able to go to all of them. You have to kind of pick and choose what's most important to you. And personally, since I don't draw professionally, I just write about people who draw. Um, <laughs> you, you and me both, Jill. I know. That's why we do this website and this podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, it was more important for me to go to a preview panel. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> And the Kung Fu Panda 3 panel was very nice. It was interesting to see, to hear, see and to hear how the story for the film developed. Um, to see the storyboards for different sequences and to hear their thought process behind the development of the film, as well as to see some uh, full finalized scenes, actually, before they even came out. Yeah. Nice. So we saw saw the scene of Poe and his dad in the Hall of Heroes. 
<laughs> fully finalized. And the battle at the Jade Palace as well. Yeah, those 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 scenes that they were they included as part of like the trailer for mm-hmm. the TV trailers for a while. Exactly. Yeah, we got to see those full scenes from storyboard to actual finalized piece of work. Wow, that's got to be really cool seeing the whole processes that went into that. Mhm. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to hear uh their thought process and just where they went with it all cuz it originally it originally was a, a very different story in the beginning, but I can get into that later when right, we sure. get to the main topic of the right, episode. Then. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that very soon, but just make sure I get all the other big uh, big news out of the way. Um, mm-hmm. Well, this isn't necessarily huge news, but uh, it's, uh, I know that in fact, in terms of like the release of the, both of Pixar's films, Inside Out has been kind of cleaning house with all like the various, you know, Oscar nominations, Emmy nominations, and all that, and it just um, while the Good Dinosaur, for various reasons, has really not, you know, has been nominated once or twice, but hasn't really won anything. Mm-mm. And yeah, no, I know, I, I know your, I know your own opinion on the movie. Just let me hear me out for just one second. Um, but it, it did actually manage to get an award with the. Um, let's see, what was it called again? Um, it was a visual or v, visual effects society or VES award. For mainly because of its uh very the movie's very stunning visual effects work with the main with the backgrounds and just the overall look of the film, and in hindsight, even though it like um you know it was it was competing with uh, the Peanuts movie with all which also had a very impressive visual effects, but in all in all honesty, I'm actually really happy that even if this film's gonna win any kind of award, it was for what impressive effects that it did have, even mm-hmm. if. Even if the writing wasn't as stellar as it was, you know, at least compared to other Pixar or Disney films. It, it wasn't. And everything. Like, I have to agree that the visuals were stunning. You go and you see that movie primarily with the background animation and environment, environmental animation. Uh, it's just astounding the level of detail and the level of clarity with those backgrounds. It's almost like you are second guessing yourself in like, did Pixar go out and actually film these environments and then you realize no they they generated this in computer and everything and it's it's ridiculous how hyper realistic it is i I mean it wasn't just like the um effects of just like the main backgrounds but even the like the environment like in the main shots Mm -hmm. i remember like there were a couple scenes where you know they're interacting with water and that's probably the most realistic oh yes seen in the pixar film yes you look like you feel like you could just dive right into that water from the theater it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, even, uh, it even looked even cooler in 3D. I didn't, wasn't expecting that when I first went and saw this movie. Uh, I didn't see it in 3D, but I bet it was. But yeah, so it's, an, and even though it, Good Dinosaur hasn't really been able to come out on top on a whole lot of things this year, at the very least, I'm happy it got some recognition, the fact that it did look like a lot of work got put into the backgrounds and the visual effects. So, oh yeah, they didn't scrimp on that at all. for Pixar. Yeah, good good job on your background in environmental animation. Uh, work on the writing on that one, though. <laughs> hey, Sorry, to, be, I... to be fair, to be fair, this these were you know two film two films in one year. That's a lot. That's really that's a lot. That's a lot to ask from any studio. So I I oh, still give sure. them, I still like to give them their props for at least oh, attempting yeah. that and still coming out on top with you know one very outstanding film all around. And even if the other film was a bit maybe made. 
may have been lacking as a result of that, at the very least, it still had, like, an aspect about it that was just far none, like, the most amazing thing I have ever seen in animation. Oh, yeah, for sure. CG thus far this past year. Exactly, yeah. And, like, it does have its moments with its story, for sure. Anything, like, I mean, the the whole scene with the fireflies. Oh, yes. And everything, that's, that's amazing in itself. And everything, both writing and visually in that part. And then, of course, like, I kind of like the ending, too, and everything mm-hmm. before the whole, like, grand reunion, but the uh, the ending and stuff where they part ways. Yeah. That, that, was, that, I, that was very well done. I, I might have teared up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I get very emotional with animated movies. <laughs> But, hey, I yeah. can't blame you. I get I get emotional just just as much, just as much as with these things. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, other good than, on them. Um, other than the good dinosaur that which ended up walking away with uh, three of the four uh, awards, which wow. I believe yeah it was outstanding effects and animation feature, outstanding environment obviously, um, and, and outstanding effects and simulation. Yeah. Okay. Up- it earned all of those, bar none. <laughs> yes, and while the um, the fourth of the awards, the outstanding animated performance, was uh, did end up going to in, uh, Inside Out for Joy. Oh well, yeah. Come on now, because mm. I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. If you've seen Inside Out, which I'd be surprised mm-hmm. if you hadn't, but <laughs> there, there's still people out there who haven't, and shame on you. You are missing <laughs> out on one of the most important animated films out there both for animation and actually in psychiatric pediatric health <laughs> yeah there you go mm-hmm. see it now yeah you have it already and then um outside of just animated films there were a couple more awards that went to um let's see the force awakens uh for it won four more awards for its effects and then geez really won. now <laughs> it's like that's a big surprise Not i really. know right <laughs> And then also, big surprise, not really, was um, uh, the other, the big TV winner for the uh, for the uh, awards was the uh, Game Game of Thrones. Oh, well, yeah, come on now. They've had a dragon on there. Like, a, a freaking, like, big, big dragon. That was, like, the That's big thing. That's the best-looking TV dragon I've ever seen. It's not easy. <laughs> and everything. Like, it looked a little corny in some moments, but I was like, overall, considering this is TV and stuff, like, yeah. kudos, man. That's not easy to pull off. <laughs> no, not at all. Mm-mm. And moving along, next bit of uh, news is um, probably a bit more pertinent to uh, our UK listeners. There's going to be a, um, a new event called the Animation Grill which is going to be taking place in Cardiff, Wales, starting, um, I believe, Thursday, Thursday, February 25th, uh, 9 p.m. to... or excuse me, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. at uh, Kinilk, I believe. I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, please forgive me. Um, what basically it is, it is is a monthly meetup to for uh, animators and to, to come and bring their, uh, their films, their short films or what have you, and, you know, just be able to present it and then to have other animators, you know, look at it, critique it, you know, give you advice on how to better perfect it or make it, you know, work on it. And I just, you know, I just think that's a really interesting idea, that, you know, because animators are really looking, you know, trying to show off their work at any, you know, any place that they can, whether it be on the internet or going to expos or, like you said, with the, um, with the expo you talked about, you know, showing off their portfolios. Mm-hmm. And so I just think this is a really interesting way to have, you know, 
more exposure for animators who are looking to try and, you know, perfect their craft in order to try and uh, get more advice on how to better work on it. What do you think? No, I think it's great and everything to have those kinds of events in order to connect with other artists, other people interested in animation in order to get inspired on your own projects, maybe find collaborators for projects as well and to develop your own skills and share your skills with the world. I mean, I know they do uh, social events kind of like that here in in Southern California in like the Glendale Burbank area. I know the Women in Animation Society holds social events every month. Mm-hmm. I think in order for people, members of their society to mingle and meet and basically make connections within the industry. And they can develop <clears throat> their career as well as the careers of others. So it's great that they're doing that in Cardiff. Yeah, um, I'm really, we're going to have to keep an eye on that and see how that, uh, if that, you know, how that takes off, but it is really good that we're getting uh, more opportunities for animators to get more exposure. And if you, and if you want to look into that and uh, find out more information, there should be uh, more information on the actual article on uh, animationforadults.com. So if you're curious, look into that there. And next bit of news if is going to be, um, I found particularly interesting because I wasn't sure, I, this is the first I'd heard of it, Apparently, there's uh, the creator of Phineas and Ferb is going is working on a new animated show called um, what was it called? A Milo Murphy's Law, and oh yes, <laughs> and the uh, main protagonist or the main character is going to be voiced by none other than Weird Al Yankovic, mm-hmm. which I'm I'm really excited about because normally when he gets involved on uh, in animated projects things get a little crazy (laughs) well the show certainly sounds pretty crazy i mean murphy's law you think about it (laughs) Mm -hmm. anything that can go wrong will go wrong and that's essentially from what i understand the basis of the show oh really Mm -hmm. do you yeah is that the basic synopsis of uh like of the show or is there is there more to it than that oh i'm sure there's more to it i can't talk much though i don't know what i can say and what i can't i have a oh uh, okay um i have a friend who works on the show as a storyboard artist uh actually if you have read our articles or my articles you may recognize the name ashley simpson she's the Ah. one who was uh yes she's the one who was the character designer on actor age and if you'd like to go on the website and check out we actually did an interview with her 10 questions um she's very nice Young lady, very talented young lady, and through that job, she was actually t- able to get the job on this show, and as a storyboard artist, and is absolutely loving it. Um, I actually just had lunch with her today. Oh. that's where I that's where I was earlier in Glendale, and she was telling me that she actually got to meet Weird Al last week, and he's a very nice man. He's very excited to be on part of the show, and. He's going to be great. They're all very excited to have him. So and I'm excited to see what the show holds. I'm sure we can expect more announcements later on in the year. I wouldn't be surprised if they have their own panel at San Diego Comic-Con in the summer. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like I said, like I don't know what I can and can't say because I don't want her to murder me okay. in my sleep. <laughs> That's fair. The only, yeah. um, all that I have, uh, knowledge that I have of the show, as I'm looking at it right now, is um, basically... 
Um, Yankovic plays the uh, supposed the fictional great great grandson of the man who inspired the term Murphy's Law, mm-hmm. and um, Milo, the main character, is basically kind of like, like a breakdown of his character. Basically, um, like you said, you know, the basic was the premise was you know what can happen, you know, will. Mm-hmm. But this uh, Milo apparently is going to be a very um, very optimistic character, and basically, you know, no matter what kind of uh, problems may come his way he's gonna have a lot of enthusiasm and excitement yeah so. and you see that's not surprising considering that it's dan povenmire and swampy marsh who are the creators of this show as well coming off of their phineas and ferb's success mm-hmm. you could almost say that there's some traits of phineas in milo murphy <laughs> yeah that's what it seems like and it's, yeah considering that that's the premise for this show i think it's going to be a really it's definitely going to be really cute I think it's going to be another hit, honestly. I really do. Anything it's got, it's got two successful creators behind it. It's got a uh, great talent voicing the main lead. Oh yeah. It and it's got um, a lot of the creative talent from Phineas and Ferb actually moved over onto Milo Murphy's Law and everything. So you have a lot of the same great creators um, yeah. from that show now on this, and so it's. It sounds like a great team. It sounds like a great idea, and I'm really excited to see what comes of it and everything. I haven't seen anything personally. I wish I could. <laughs> yeah. Well, even if they haven't seen anything anything big yet in terms of announcements, at least we will know. We do know that it should be coming to uh, Disney. I think it's uh, this fall. I believe. Yes, that's why I'm saying if they're aiming for a fall release date, I would expect a major panel on it mm-hmm. at San Diego Comic-Con. All right. Yeah, so that that's where I would expect a gargantuan amount of information to come from. Because that's where a lot of um, major studios make their big announcements anyways. Yeah, and it's everything. interesting how that's, uh, that's kind of, a, you know, that seems to have gotten bigger and bigger every single year. It's insane. I Last time I went was, jeez, three years ago. Two, I went Last time I went was 2013. Okay. And it's like a moving mosh pit. And it's <laughs> very, it, I'm, I'm not kidding. It really is all four days. It's like a constant moving mosh pit. You You have to have a strategy going into that you have to have your must do panels and then you need to have panels that you're okay with missing and it's just it's a huge game plan you have to lay out so i'm gonna try and get a badge for this year because i'm finally i'm in a position where i can go again mm-hmm. and i only live an hour and a half away now from san diego which is nice awesome. yes thank you new job um <laughs> anyways so yeah if i do go expect a lot of coverage but fingers crossed that i can get a badge when general sales occur because it's literally like the hunger games of nerds (laughs) so that i can believe i mean i've only i've only only kind of big convention i've been to that's kind of like that is um the otakon uh convention in baltimore for Mm -hmm. kind of like yeah i've heard of that one it's quite as big as san diego comic-con like Probably nothing not is that. Yeah, I don't think anything. Nothing is. is. But um, I do know it, it's it's kind of similar in the fact that you like you, you have to you do have to go in with the game plans. Like, okay, yeah. what are we gonna do? Mm-hmm. Which panels mm-hmm. are we gonna go to? You know. Yeah, but I know that if if Milo Murphy does have a panel at Comic Con, that'll be one of my definite must dos. 
and everything. So for sure, keep an eye out for that. If you, so. yeah, if you go, if you go to that, make sure you, will, you know, check all information. We'll check it on the website. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have daily postings, probably live tweets, the whole shebang. I'll probably bring my tablet with me or something. I don't know, but like first I need to get the badge, so wish me luck whenever that happens. All right, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. <laughs> Thank you. Just make sure you don't get cramps in them. That's going to be a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, I actually think that does it for news. So um, aside from Kung Fu Panda 3, um. What else have you been, like, since we've heard from you last, what have you been watching? Well, I've been keeping up with Wander Over Yonder, and that apparently is going to be ending this season, <clears throat> in the according to the rumor mill. I don't know if there's been an official announcement yet or not. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, but, like, through the rumor mill, it sounds like it's winding down to a close, which is kind of sad, because these are some of its greatest episodes ever since they introduced uh, this female villain that... Lord Hater has fallen head over heels for. Her. Yeah, I remember you talking about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're they're continuing to move along with that. So it's it's been very funny <laughs> watching that. Um, great slapstick humor, great comedic timing, and just generally an an homage to the classic comedy cartoons of the past. So it, it continues to be really great, and I'm going to be sad to see it go if it does. It oh. turn out it is ending. Um, <clears throat> What else have I been watching? Oh, Star Wars Rebels, which I know you're a big fan of, too. Yes? Yeah! Don't tell me anything about last night's episode. I still haven't watched it. Um, <laughs> uh, just that it was beautiful. Yes, I'm I'm going to watch it. I don't doubt that for a minute. Uh, <laughs> but it's been really good this season. I really like how they've been really fleshing out the other uh, members of the crew. Yeah. And really diving into their backstories and really giving them development. Uh, the stakes have gotten way higher. I mean, Hera was severely wounded last week. I know. That was huge. Like, I wasn't expecting Yes. I was certain, like, you know, you see her ship kind of, like, come out of warp after their encounter with the Mandalorian. And it's just a mangled mess. And It's like, can, like I wasn't even aware uh, A-Wings could make a jump like that even ah. that badly damaged. I wasn't either. I'm like, was she being towed or something? I don't know. I'm not going to think much about it because she lived, and that's all I care about. <laughs> Thank goodness, because if we, we would have lost one of the series' most popular characters. <laughs> if we had lost Space Mama, I would have cried. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, would have, so would I, and so would have many others, I'm sure. Yes, but it's been really fantastic. It's gotten way darker. I like, the, I like their new villain, the seventh sister. And, and the uh, fifth brother's gotten... And the fifth brother. Like, especially in um, the legacy of the four, or no, the, the yes. future of the four, excuse me. I got there that. you go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Future of the force, that was a good one. And so and it's actually kind of interesting. Ahsoka Tano got to fight with lightsabers again, guys. I know, finally. That was such a huge moment. Oh my gosh. That was great. I was like, ah! <laughs> they, even, they even played some of her uh, original theme music. And, uh, yeah. And from Clone Wars in there, and I'm just like, when the time, when, when she steps out and she's about to face the inquisitors and i'm just like my jaw hit the floor i'm like oh guys i'm so excited it's about to go down oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's been great how they've been tying this into clone wars and everything in a respectful way oh, while yeah. also ma- maintaining their own identity and establishing themselves so it's like it's been nice it's like it had it wasn't never meant to replace Co- clone wars and it's nice that disney is showing that hey we respect that clone wars existed we're tying it in with clone wars this yeah. isn't a replacement for Clone Wars. This is a continuation from. So 
which is pretty them. big for Disney to do because they, they, they are fully within their power to say, no, screw that. We can do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, We've screw that storyline. That never happened. We're moving with this storyline. and stuff. No, it's, it's a huge thing. And I think that's really big of them to do, mm-hmm. to take that time to actually tie in those storylines. And it's nice, too, because Disney's actually really incorporating Star Wars Rebels into the Star Wars universe. If you go to Disneyland now, actually, mm-hmm. um, you go to Tomorrowland, and it's all Star Wars themed right now. It's crazy. Yeah, I heard um, my, uh, my cousins took their kids uh, to to see it this past, you know, just mm-hmm. earlier this Christmas, and they mm-hmm. were that's all they were talking about. Yeah, oh yeah, it's just it's all Star Wars themed, but it's amazing that they incorporate Star Wars Rebels into the theming as well. Because you walk into Tomorrowland, and they have all these different character banners hanging of different characters throughout the Star Wars universe, and there's one for Ezra Bridger. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the character meet and greets in the old Inventions building, and they have actual prop replicas from the films, oh, and cool. they even have prop replicas from Star Wars Rebels. So they actually made Ezra's lightsaber. They also made Sabine's helmet as well, and the Inquisitor's lightsaber. Oh, that is hardcore. Yep. And in their little Jedi training show, which is like the cutest thing ever, please YouTube it because it's a bunch of kids learning how to be Jedi. And oh my gosh, I, I can't even. It's the cutest. And I, and I totally wish I could go be a part of the show too. I'm like, where, where's the adult volunteer section? Anyways. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, there's a portion where you get to fight against um, the Star Wars villain. So it used to be just Darth Vader. Uh-huh. But now they've added in the seventh sister as another villain. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now you have Darth Vader and the seventh sister. Yeah, <clears> and these kids. That, they're making that more, can- you know, it's, it's official canon now, I guess. It, it is. They, Disney's really tied it in. And then the fact that they're, they really incorporated it into the park and everything, including in a show. Mm-hmm. That that kind of blew my mind. It's like, wow, they really are serious about this show. Mm. Well, thank you for that. So, I know. We can enjoy it all the more. I know. I'm like, it can go on for as long as it wants to. I mean, and then if you like comics, you've got to make sure you check out Kane and the Last pa- Padawan comic series. Yeah, I actually have a couple issues of that, and it was really entertaining. It's It's very well done, very well written, and the last issue actually went into what happened at that battle that that mandalorian saved kanan's life at oh wow yeah i didn't even realize it until i i was done with the comic and i'm like wait wait a hot second (laughs) i'm like that's that battle they were talking about in the episode (laughs) man they're just referencing everything just like the the clone wars with the Mm -hmm. comics and the books Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. man they're they're going full on with this whole continuity thing and it's it's, they really are it's it's pretty amazing to bear witness to yeah i'm glad they're taking very good care of that property um so before we move on to something like what anything else you've been watching um i just wanted to ask did you see the mid-season two trailer yes any thoughts on that I can't wait for more. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's just getting like darker and more like high stakes. And I, I honestly don't think everyone's going to make it out alive. I think we're going to see, I think we're getting on who are you placing your bets on? Who's going to bite it? A clone wars vet. It's going to be commander Rex. Probably I could, I could see commander Rex going. 
Yeah. In a self-sacrificial way, I could see that he very likely. Be, at least from I've noticed that watching this the season so far, that ever since mm-hmm. we picked him up, he he does seem to kind of keep throwing himself into harm's way. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if in a finale or um, a two-parter we saw his demise. It would it would hit pretty hard to fans. Well, considering that he, you know the fact that he was being included in the season at all was like probably one of the like the biggest reactions that they ever got. Yeah. They announced the second season. I know. That was pretty wild. That was a big reaction. Yeah, that my bets are on him, unfortunately. I, I think Ahsoka's too big of a character to kill off, but if they really wanted to garner a really strong reaction, mm-hmm. it could be her and it like would probably be at the hands of Darth Vader. That's what they seem to be hinting at, at least they're building to. So, I mean, they know they're building to the fact that the two actually are going to duke it out. At the end oh, they the totally season. are. And I'm going to, like, scream the whole time. <laughs> you and me both. It's just like, no! That is going to be, like, such an intense ality. That's going to be the most intense lightsaber duel on television ever. Mm-hmm. So... I'm very pumped for whenever that happens, which I hope is soon, but I bet it's going to be like a finale event. That's what my bets are on. And uh, though there is the inclusion of a couple other characters, like I was more surprised. Like there's one character that they, I I mentioned before when I first saw this uh, mid season trailer was uh, I think that people have been ranting raving that the Darth Maul is actually being included in this season. And he's might he, that he's going to be a possible mentor, uh, for uh, Ezra in the dark side of the Force, and uh, um, it, it's it's like it's going to be pulling so hard on the heartstrings because it's just like oh no, <laughs> but That's oh yes, so I get wild. to see this character again. That's so wild. It's so funny because he doesn't have much screen time in Episode One, but he became like one of the most popular characters ever out of Star Wars. Isn't that, isn't that the funniest thing? It's it's hilarious and everything. Like, I think he's great, but, man, I just crack up because I think, what did he have, maybe, like, 15 minutes of screen time in episode one, if that, and he, he's just kind of there, and then he gets a really cool lightsaber battle, and then he gets cut in half, so it's like, how did they bring him half. back? They, and, then, and then Clone Wars found a way to not only bring him back, but also give him more of a character. I... I I still have to figure, read up on how they did that. <laughs> yes, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of interesting storyboarding. I'm sure. I'm sure it's like, do you just deny that that ever happened? Like, is that one of those we're so in denial over that death, we're just going to pretend it didn't happen? <laughs> <laughs> just so, because I mean... this character is that's just because this character is too cool to not to just let die. Well, that's what they did with Coulson. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. So, yeah, Star Wars Rebels. It's like if you're not watching now, you better start watching soon. It's if, definitely if you're a Star Wars great. fan in any any shape or form. Mm-hmm. For and sure. Anything else? Yes, one more. There's this show called "It's Going to Be a Mouthful: Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir." It originally it's originally from France, actually. So the original language it's recorded in is French. And Nickelodeon has recently started airing it with an English dub. It's essentially very Magical Girl inspired, very Sailor Moon inspired. Uh, It's about a teenage girl living in Paris who has an alter identity as a superhero named Ladybug. 
and she uses what's referred to as a miraculous, which is kind of like the best way to describe it to people who haven't seen the show is if you remember the, the squishy from Treasure Planet, kind of like that, but with an actual voice and personality and more of a form. Um, so these miraculous act, this miraculous acts as a mentor to this girl and also gives her the ability to transform into Ladybug through a magical girl transformation. <laughs> What's also hilarious is her partner, um, is who is Cat Noir. He has a miraculous as well. And he has a magical boy transformation <laughs> into Cat Noir. So both genders get to get their own awesome magical transformations. Exactly. So it's equality. Yay. It's it's great. Um in the show it is it is formulaic. There is an overall villain who uses these butterflies, which are referred to as akumas, to evilize people in Paris who are having a very strong negative emotion. And then they become the main villain for the episode with the intention of trying to get the miraculous from Ladybug and Cat Noir. Okay. And everything. So that's kind of the formula and stuff. And of course, Ladybug and Cat Noir always save the day <laughs> and stuff. But the recent French episodes have kind of been deviating from the episode, from the formula. A bit, so now it seems like they're starting to kind of get into the meat of what their show is really all about. Okay. And everything, maybe working to more towards the main villain. And also, the fun fact, too, is Ladybug and Cat Noir, even though they work together, they don't know who they are in real life. Oh, so we've got that kind of secret identity thing going on. Mm-hmm. They keep their identities a secret from each other. And you also kind of have, like, this massive, like, kind of, I guess weird love rectangle going on where i'll try to describe it okay nickelodeon even has their own video describing it so you might be better (laughs) off finding this on youtube anyways so the the girl whose name is marinette she likes the guy whose name is adrian like without the superhero and everything she likes him normal Mm -hmm. and he likes her but when there is cat noir and ladybug but neither one knows who the other is. Uh-huh. So kind of a rectangle kind of deal. Yeah, I know. I, I can understand. I can understand calling that a rectangle. Yeah. So it, that that's also kind of part of the, the fun of it and everything. So she, like, kind of finds Cat Noir annoying at the time, the times when they're working together and stuff. And he's he's very flirtatious and everything and stuff, very sly and sarcastic when he's mm-hmm. Cat Noir. And then when he's like in it, like as his normal self as Adrian and everything, he's very like sweet and kind and charming and stuff. So it, it'll be interesting, like when one figures out who the other is and how these feelings or whatever and stuff are going to get resolved. So yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting because you know one of them's going to figure it out <laughs> at some stuff. point. Who, who, yeah. who would you bet's going to figure it out first? Oh, I think Adrian will figure out that Marinette's ladybug first. <laughs> he, he's more he's more intent on finding out who she is. Than the other he, way around. Yeah, because he has a huge crush on Ladybug. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But so far, neither of them have figured it out. So <laughs> we've gotten close a few times, but it's still early. So I'm sure mm-hmm. they'll drag this out for as long as they can. But, yeah, if you're not watching it, it's got great animation, great voice work. Uh, the writing is actually in, in both in both languages. In both languages, yes. If you want to watch it in French, you can find it on YouTube right now. If you want to watch it in English, it's on Nickelodeon right now. Um, the episodes are being aired out of order on Nickelodeon, but that's okay. There really is no 
specific set order, timeline-wise at least, for the time being. Mm-hmm. So you're okay watching them out of order if you want to. All right. Yes. So you're okay right now. That could change in the future as they deviate more from the formula. Interesting. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's wow. a great show. Mm-hmm. I will have to check that out. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as for me watching stuff this week, I haven't watched a whole heck of a lot. I've been slowly moving through uh, One Punch Man, which is a uh, the big popular uh, anime that just came out this past year. And I've already seen the first episode. I've only had time to watch just the second episode where we get introduced to uh, uh, Saitama's uh, new uh, pupil, as he like as as he calls himself, or as a self self proclaimed pupil. Hmm. And um, still like getting used to the show's just general humor and everything. And this how the animation tends to shift from just like really like kind of lazy like drawing style of the main character to when you get to the fight scenes, it gets really like really big budget kind of like detailed animation and just I'm kind of just still in awe by the whole fact that it continues to transition from those two different styles much like the um I believe the uh uh comic that it was based off of did the exact same thing hmm because the whole idea was the fact that you know the the only the um the person who drew the comic would only put you know so much effort into particular scenes and so that was kind of like a supposed to be like a metaphor or something for the actual main character's temperaments like he'll put effort into stuff when he really wants to but most of the time he just doesn't care mhm oh man but hopefully once i get more time away from work i'll be able to watch that whole show in its entirety and give my full opinion on it oh that'll be awesome yeah and then, I'm, of course, I was watching Star Wars Rebels, which I will I have been told to not say anything about, so I'm just going to keep quiet about that. And we've talked about we've talked about a great deal so far, so I'll move on from that. Mm-hmm. And ugh, can't really think of too much else, unfortunately. Oh, um, what one thing in terms of uh, video game uh, video games that I've actually tried this past uh, I think it was just just yesterday. A uh, video game that came out, uh, which was originally came out for the PS Vita, but it came out for the PlayStation 4 just recently. It was called uh, Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth, which is another uh, spin-off video game of the uh, Digimon franchise and in Japan. And that um, you know they had the animated, the animated cartoon of uh, Digimon in the states for a while, but then it, it kind of lost out to Pokemon and just general popularity, at least from at least from the the U.S., because I think the Pokemon anime came out first. Mm-hmm. But um, I still love Digimon, and the fact that we were able to get this uh, PS, you know, Vita game, you know, localized and uh, released in the U.S. at all is huge, because we haven't had that in a good couple years. And I started playing at least the uh, first, I'd say, 15, 20 minutes of it. And it's very different than any kind of uh, Digimon game that has been released in the past. And I, I'm i kind of shocked I'm saying this because, you know, Digimon was originally, you know, more of a, you know, story kind of based from, like, you know, little cute monsters for, you know, kids or, like, older older kids. This actually might be more, like, more of a video game for adults who might have grown up with Digimon. Because mm. at least from the story... From at least what I can glean from the story so far, it is it's got a bit more of a mature tone to it. 
Okay. Because we're dealing with, um, I mean, the premise, at least from the be- from the very beginning, is you have a main character who's in this chat room talking with a whole bunch of different people about, you know, online, you know, stuff going on online, and one of these, one of the anomalies that's been happening in the internet, in that at least this alternate world, is that these hackers are using these things called Digimon, ha ha ha, to um, cause kind of, you know, trouble on the internet, like hacking in, uh, you know, wrecking sites and all that. And Mm. they get invited to, uh, by this hacker, who basically threatens them, oh, come to this, uh, come to this area on the, on the internet, or I'll hack you. And then from there on, they, the three that decide to go, one of which being your player character, who you name and choose the gender of, um, just kind of gets involved, gets, gets involved in this mystery that's kind of a bit of a dot hack kind of a scenario where the player character gets uh, their, basically their spirit torn out of their body and um, kind of like digitized. And basically the story then becomes, you know, trying to figure out how to get back into your body and how the whole thing with the Digimon and the digital world factors into that. Hmm. That's pretty wild. A bit more complicated than uh, some of the other previous Digi- uh, Digimon games that I've uh, had experience with, but it's it's interesting, and I'm intrigued, and the animation is beautiful. I bet. Which I wasn't expecting, like, the whole internet world that you get to play in. Like, I, su- I swear to God, the first couple scenes I was watching it, I'm like, am I playing Summer Wars? Like, the, the big, you know, Mamoru Hosoda game that would, you know, movie thing that was... <laughs> That was that was kind of a spin-off Digimon because that was his his first experience directing. <laughs> it was a Digimon film, so I'm just like, oh my goodness, it's come it's come full circle. <laughs> a Digimon game is is referencing Summer Wars, and Summer Wars was referencing Digimon. That's pretty wild. But if anyone if if anyone listening is interested in either Summer Wars or Digimon itself, I would actually look into this game because it is pretty fun so far. And I think that's all I have, you know, to offer for in terms of what I've done this past week. So how about we get right into the meat of it with uh, Kung Fu Panda 3. Hmm. Um, I already said my first impressions on the previous podcast, so um, what, what was your impression when you went to see it? It is the best visually, hands down, Writing-wise, it's still really good, but it's not as strong as the previous two. But yeah, um, when I first, uh, when I watched Kung Fu Panda, like you said, it was definitely probably the most beautiful animation I think I've seen in, in, out of all the Kung Fu Panda movies, and maybe, I'd almost say, maybe even most of DreamWorks films that I've seen, I though... I, I know still... uh, How to Train Your Dragon comes still comes damn close, but... How to Train Your Dragon 2, I still think, is the most visually stunning. Okay. Uh, I think this one, though, is very, very, very close behind it. <laughs> like, I, I kind of had a tough time deciding which one was the best, but I'm a little more inclined to dragons, but I think I'm biased there. Anyways, um... <laughs> I just like but... the style of it. Ah, me too. I, I love the, the shifting styles, too. It's not entirely CG. Mm-hmm. I think they, they use 2D animation to explore, like, the past stories, just like they did in the second one. Mm-hmm. And everything. But it's like, it's like a 
unique kind of 2D animation. It's just it's like it's like a moving picture book almost. Yeah, I, think I guess what's the, me the most about it. Yeah, that was probably the best way to describe that, and it was it was really quite stunning how they did it. And I I really liked the the little opening sequence, you know, for the DreamWorks logo. Oh my thing. god, that was great! <laughs> I loved that one. Poe struggling up, his, you know, the stairs, <laughs> trying to get up to where the moon is. Yes. Where the castle's in a regular for the DreamWorks. So I was like, guys. Give me a minute. Yes. Give me a minute. <laughs> that was so great. That that was probably their best DreamWorks logo ever. I, I'm, was... I'm pretty torn between that one and um, the one uh, that they had in the sequel where they had Oogway up on the uh, up on the moon. Oh, I love the one with Oogway up on the moon. But I thought this Oogway one is just great, and that which we which is really awesome because we got to see him again in this movie, and we got to see him pretty prominently again too, which was really nice i mean you don't see him at all in the second one which makes sense he has no part in the second one at all mm-hmm. and i think it's more about poe finding his inner peace and everything and Uguay's not a part of that formula no. and stuff but when it comes to becoming a teacher of kung fu becoming a master and therefore becoming a teacher and everything Uguay's a huge part of that oh yeah because he he was able to teach shifu and all that the, the basically his teachings are being carried down through mm-hmm. their martial arts masters. So. Exactly, exactly, and, and Ugwe is technically the first master of kung fu in this franchise. Yeah. So it's it was very nice to it was very nice to see him again, him and his super chill self. Everything. <laughs> I just I adore Ugwe, and I actually I watched the first Kung Fu Panda as well earlier this week. Uh-huh. Just to kind of compare, and it's like, first off, it's amazing how far the animation has come. Yeah. And the, the animation of Kung Fu Panda is still stellar, but you watch that and you compare it to the third film, it's just leaps and bounds in the detail and the quality, and you just can't believe that they were able to make it better from where it was. Yeah, because it was already, like you said, it was already pretty darn good on its own. <laughs> yeah. DreamWorks so, has come far. Yeah, they they really like they really give Disney a run for their money when it comes to quality and level of detail in their animation. I mean, because Disney doesn't have the level of detail I think as DreamWorks does. Anything like Disney's great with their animation, but I think if you're going to go for overall quality, it's got to be DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, they just it's just too their game is too strong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, like, you, you watch Rise of the Guardians and, like, when Jack first comes up from the ice and everything and just the way the ice cracks and you, like, see him looking his, at his hands and you can actually see the freaking veins on his hands and everything, like, actually, like, rolling and stuff. And you're just like, what in the world? You actually animated the veins. <laughs> Sorry, n- nurse nerd alert. Um, <laughs> okay. Hey, De- attention to detail is everything in animation, it seems. At least we're really, you know big budget films if you like you're not paying attention you know paying attention to the little details you know it's you're missing something from the film that you, you really are the film. you really are and they they definitely didn't scrimp on the budget for this one and the other thing i really like about the kung fu panda films in general is that it has a female director attached to it oh yes who's very passionate about the subject material and really takes it very seriously and stuff um it was interesting like I was talking about earlier, I got to attend a panel on the film and I got to hear her speak regarding the 
battle scene at the Jade Palace and everything between Kai and the Furious Five and Shifu. Yeah, I that, remember that that particular scene. That was an that was a relatively intense uh, fight scene. I think all the fight scenes were really intense. I was like, I was like, dang, we have the caliber on our action sequences. Holy frick! They were, they were they already were pretty awful. intense in, uh, in in two as well. Gosh, so how, the, how they could even up the ante from that was mind blowing. It really was. But getting back to the Jade Palace, what was interesting was hearing her talk about the the camera angles and camera work they wanted to use for that scene. And if you notice, if you watch that scene again, um, a lot of the camera angles, especially one on Shifu, are kind of angled upward to kind of show that he's like winning. He's got the advantage and everything mm-hmm. and stuff. And he, like, believes that he can win this fight with the Furious Five. But then the second that he loses that hope and everything, Mm -hmm. the camera angles become more downward and everything. And kind of a defeated kind of thing. And it was really cool to hear that thought process and really hear how that works. And then you go and you watch the scene and you can see that instant where the mood of the battle changes and everything. Mm -hmm. where Where it becomes Kai who has the upper hand and everything just based on the camera angles alone. So it's, it was really quite astounding seeing that in action. And then of course it, that whole scene is just visually amazing and, Oh wow. That choreography. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't get over, I can't get over the, that whole, just all the fight scenes. That was the Jade palace was one of my favorite, favorite fight scenes. I think of that whole movie, and I really like. I really love the opening fight scene too between oh, Uguay yes. and Kai in that's the spirit what, that world. Was, I was going to say that's one of my primary favorite uh, <laughs> scenes in the film was just that opening with Uguay and then our introduction to Kai and their their initial uh, mm-hmm. duel there. And it's like what a great fun. what a great way to open the movie and everything. Like let's just jump right in to this amazing battle sequence. And everything in like the spirit world, no less. In, Basically, any, anything goes. Yeah, there was like there were no rules essentially, which was really cool to see how each of them utilized it and everything. Whereas like Ugwe was more offensive and stuff, and just kind of like very like I wouldn't say often, yeah, offensive, like just not really instigating any battle or stuff and anything. He was just very stuff. zen. Yeah, very zen about it and stuff. And Kai's just all anger, anger, and just. It's very interesting to see how their styles come through, especially in the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, like, the voice work was great. I mean, you had J.K. Simmons as Kai. Yeah, and he I did. really enjoyed him in this role. Yeah, he was he was great. He owned it. And then Brian Cranston as Poe's dad. I mean, it's like it's like it's freaking Walter White from Breaking Bad. <laughs> and he's playing this huge, dorky panda dad who's, like, totally obsessed with kung fu like Poe is. And everything, and he's like so psyched about everything. So you can definitely just, see uh, where Poe gets it from. Oh, you really can, and it's just it's great. I really loved the whole Hall of Heroes scene with the two of them. It's just such a fun scene where they're essentially like freaking out together over all the cool stuff and everything from Kung Fu history. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure. Like it, it seemed to me like more like um. Like Poe's dad, he may have not been entirely into it as much as Poe was, because Poe's, Poe's got the knowledge of, like, what all this stuff is, where maybe his dad doesn't. But at the very least, he knows his son's passionate about it, so he mm-hmm. he was getting into it just, you know, just to be... Just as much, yeah. Just as much, because his son was enjoying it. And I think that was, that was really nice that they kind of, they hinted at that a little bit. 
Yeah, and it kind of like, it, now that you mentioned that, it, it brings me back to that panel where they were talking about the original idea for the third film. Post's father originally was not that nice and chill, actually. Really? Yeah, originally he was a very stern, very controlling guy who like wanted Poe to come back to the panda village and he needed to learn how to be a panda, which wasn't all like about the rolling around and eating as much as you can and sleeping in and all that stuff like it was in this movie it was about being a farmer Hmm. and everything and like basically taking care of the land very stern boring guy and everything and it was like more about like kind of this broken relationship between poe and his father but when you think about that that's very stereotypical yeah and that would have been like I remember it, actually reading an, an article. Sorry to interrupt, but um, no, it's cool. I, I remember reading an article when the the first the film was announced that they were you know they they hinted at um the character of May May who is this female panda that Poe meets who is a dancer and I believe from what they mentioned in the in the article that I read that they were originally intending for her to be a uh, intended to be Poe's uh, kind of forced fiance. Yeah. I think I heard something like that, too. But um, when I saw the film, and I, I, with that in mind, I saw the film, and that never happened. Like, they never hinted at, at that at all. I'm like, oh, they must have changed that in early, you know, early development. And all honesty, mm-hmm. I, I like that change. Yeah, I know. And I like this change, too, because then they just kind of wonder to themselves, wait, what if he's just, like, Poe and everything? He's, like, this huge dork <laughs> and everything. And he, like, and they're like, yeah. And then it took it off into a whole different angle and everything which i thought was more fun and more energetic yeah it definitely kind of fit the uh the kind of mood of kung fu pan of the kung fu panda movies yeah which they're fun but they also have this dark serious undertone uh, beneath them everything especially in the second one everything that that one goes to some really really dark places i mean it deals with panda genocide poe nearly gets killed Yep. and everything like he gets very close to being killed and i have never been more terrified of a peacock in my life i know right oh my god <laughs> it's like that i i still it's hard for me to wrap my head around how they could even animate the whole see you know the scenes with the peacock you know uh lord shen actually fighting like kung fu i mean he, i know he doesn't fight it's, very often but when he does it's just like it's brilliant. i never thought i never thought i could visualize the idea of a Peacock doing kung fu, big tail and all, and but they somehow made it work. And made they made it, it work. Yes, and they made it terrifying. And then I think the thing that really made Lord Shen such a terrifying villain was the fact that A, he had no remorse, and B, he's voiced by Gary Oldman, who literally <laughs> can like just melt into any role. He really and did. He really gave this character that soul and everything, that that really villainous edge to him to where like you were just scared just hearing him talk mm-hmm. and everything like you were like this guy has no remorse he's going to do any anything and everything he needs to in order to obtain his goal i mean he kills his right hand wolf he kills his right hand wolf and he committed genocide pretty easily yeah he straight up committed genocide and was like he comes back to the palace and he's full of pride over what he's done yeah and everything, which his parents, of course, are rightfully horrified and banish him. <laughs> and <laughs> Thank, even, thank even God. Even so, I mean, even though it's hard to sympathize with someone who could just, you know, snap of a finger, you know, just because of a prophecy, just go and try and, you know, kill off an entire race or mm-hmm. um, group of people, mm-hmm. uh, or pandas in this case. But um, 
at the still at the same time, you can tell at least in one or two scenes of that movie that uh, he was still pretty torn up of the fact that you know he did something that his parents you know were appalled of and they <sighs> basically ostracized him for it and or just yeah kicked him to the curb and you could you could hear the hurt in his voice which you know props to Gary Oldman for that as well. So, yeah, seriously. So even so, they still made him a sympathetic villain, which will lead me to my next point. Compared to that, how would you uh, rate Kai as a villain? I think Kai was a good villain. He wasn't fully developed, unfortunately. But yeah, Kai, he wasn't fully developed. It's like, you understood his whole like issue with Uguay and everything, but it was just kind of like very abrupt, their split mm-hmm. and everything. Like He takes him to the Panda Village when he's severely wounded, gets him healed, and they both learn the power of Chi. And, um, <clears throat> and he just all of a sudden was like super greedy and wanted all the chi for himself. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like, it was almost a little bit of a stereotypical villain flaw. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Yeah. But I mean, overall, he was, he was definitely scary for sure. He was intimidating. Oh, yeah. And I kind of like the fact that no one had ever heard of him. <laughs> I love that recurring joke. <laughs> Well, it's kind of ironic. It's it's because everyone uh, was like the the past two villains. Everyone knew who uh, Tai Lung was. Everyone knew who Lord Shen was. No one knows who Kai is. But Kai was like from a thousand years ago, so like it kind of made sense and everything. Because he like comes back and he's like, "I'm Kai, maker of widows," and they're just like, "Who?" (laughs) (laughs) Like, like okay, that's nice, cool. And they're like, they're like, "Uh, I used to work with Master Ugwe. Oh yeah, Ugwe. Yeah, we like that guy. <laughs> it's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. But I do like, I like, I really liked his weapon, the the jade um, dual-edged blades with the chain yeah, between them. Yeah, those were intimidating. Yeah, those were really intimidating and stuff. And I really liked his theme music that they composed for him, too, which actually, if you look at the, who did compose this time, John Powell wasn't part of this movie. You said there was a different composer to... Um... There wasn't... It wasn't a different composer. The first two films had a, a dual composing duties oh. between Hans Zimmer and okay. John Powell. Okay. This okay. film, this film, John Powell wasn't a part of it. It was strictly just Hans Zimmer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you listen to Hans Zimmer and John Powell scores alone, mm-hmm. you can. There's a very distinct difference between to Hans Zimmer's a lot more bass, a lot more like straightforward, like kind of in your face mm-hmm. and everything. Whereas you listen to John Powell and it's like a lot more lighthearted and everything and energetic and fun. Yeah. And, and then you mixed the two together with the Kung Fu Panda movies. And it was this great combination and everything where they worked really well together to create this beautiful score. So now with Hans Zimmer alone, he still did a good job. Mm-hmm. You just kind of, miss some of that energetic hardness that John Powell would bring yeah. to the team and everything. And while like they utilize old themes from the previous films that they oh, had yeah. cr- both created and everything, the newer themes, they just didn't kind of have that same flair that yeah. I enjoyed from the previous two films that I come to know and love. So, I mean, I, I don't know why John Powell wasn't on this film. I was frankly surprised when I found that out because <clears throat> I always thought that was kind of what made, part of what made the film so strong was the the musical score oh definitely and, and 
Kung Fu Panda 2's film score is one of my all-time favorites, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it's got some really great numbers in it. Um, but this one, there was one thing that really stood out to me. It was Kai's theme. I really liked his theme. It was... I was impressed with it. I was... Yeah. The, first, when I first heard it, like, I wasn't sure what to make of it, but the more I heard it and the more, you know, screen time that Kai had, I'm just like, you know mm-hmm. what? I actually like this. This is yeah, actually and- really cool. Well, what's interesting about it, too, I, I actually sat through the credits of the film. It's something I do with all animated films. I, I'll sit through the credits just kind of as a sign of respect for everyone who worked on the film. Yeah. I think so. I'm sitting through the credits and I get to the musical credits. And it turns out part of the score, they took um, cards from the Imagine Dragons song, I'm So Sorry. Really? And, yeah. And if you go back and you listen to that song and then you listen to Kai's theme that's where it's from and everything oh kai's, my gosh kai's theme is inspired from imagine dragons i'm so sorry which i thought was kind of cool yeah so yeah because you, you listen to it and then you hear the little tidbits from i'm so sorry in kai's theme so i was trying to figure i'm like where is that in the score <laughs> i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that now my gosh yeah it's it's actually really cool so i thought that was kind of really cool like and kind of like added more to kai's character in that like he is this very angry greedy villain but also, like, maybe in the end, he maybe is kind of sorry for what he did. Yeah. And everything. He is, he is kind of stepping on uh, the work, the works and dreams and livelihood of the, of someone who he used to be very close to. Exactly. And everything. So, like, maybe in the end, he is sorry for destroying that bond. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, whether or not that, that's not really shown in the film, but, I mean, you can almost, with that knowledge in that his theme there, you can almost wonder if that's kind of an underlying tone with his character. So kind of a cool little tidbit I found out, (laughs) which was fun. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. So loved that. What did you think of all the, um, the, the new side characters in the film and balancing them out with the, uh, with the already existing, uh, supporting cast of the, uh, Kung Fu Panda films like Tigress and Crane and all the other Furious Five. I didn't think May May really had any place in the film. She didn't yeah, really. Since they, they took since they took out the whole idea of making her a uh, forced fiance for Poe. I think it, that took she, out a lot of her purpose. Yeah, she really had no purpose in the film. I was kind of hoping she was kind of going to be like kind of like a, a teaching moment for Poe and stuff, and where like he realizes like he can like it, I thought it was going to maybe they were going to have a standalone scene and everything where he realizes that oh I can take the best aspect of these guys. And turn it and utilize it in their fighting and teaching them kung fu. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I thought was going to happen, where he was going to realize be, her ribbon dancing could really be applied in teaching her nunchucks. But unfortunately, that was just realized through the montage yeah. and everything. And I was kind of really hoping it would have been, it could have been stronger and made her character have a purpose and where she kind of unlocks for him that he can teach and everything. Mm-hmm. He's figured out how to teach and everything. So I thought that's where her character was going to come in. I'm very glad he, she didn't turn out to be a love interest for him. Yeah. So am I, as I that would have, that would have been the obvious one. And that would have pissed me off so much. Cause I've always kind of felt that he and Tigress kind of have a thing for each other. That's what a lot of people say. I, I know <laughs> I, I, my brother keeps saying that when I watch the films with him, he's like, there's it's like poet Tigress, man. They're adorable. Yeah. Like, they're yeah. adorable. And it's like, but I'm kind of glad too that they didn't do anything with that this time around. And it so they kind of, 
Any kind of roman any kind of romantic subplot would have been forced, I think. It would have been very forced and it's like this movie wasn't really about romantic subplot or anything and stuff. It was more about family and finding out who you are mm-hmm. and finding out your abilities and everything. I really liked how the little kid pandas were incorporated. Oh yeah. Stuff, especially the little girl like the baby keeps kitty. Tigress around. Yeah, yeah. Baby kitty or whatever she kept calling her and stuff and like kitty. really yeah, and really calling, like, really showing Tigress's soft side mm-hmm. and everything. Like, I always like when they put that side of her on display, because it's not a side you get to see often. At but you get not to... when she gets to work, but she does no. She does have her moments. Like, I think they only really start showing that after the first film. Yeah, they don't really show it in the first film, but, like, the second film, that's where it really comes out. Like, I remember that scene in the prison and everything where mm-hmm. Poe, like, talks about how, like he saw Lord Shen was there like when his family disappeared or something and stuff or mm-hmm. like how can anyone understand and everything and you and Tigress like go at him really fast and everyone thinks he's, she's gonna hit him or something and, she just and stuff him. and she just hugs him and everyone's like whoa and I just remember that being like like really kind of like jaw-dropping moment because it well, was like really quite cool literally because you see as from the shot like the background you see the rest of the series fight crane crane's jaw does drop yeah and it, it's <laughs> it would that was a pretty great display of how deep their bond is and how much they really care for one another and how much tigress really cares for him especially like when like she breaks apart from the hug and everything she's like but i cannot watch my friend die mm. Mm. And everything so all the, all the warm and fuzzies and then five like five seconds later uh crane's like maybe you wouldn't want me to want to watch yeah and she's like don't be a wimp <laughs> no yeah she's <laughs> like uh, goes, and she's back back <laughs> so yeah I, I really like that they kept her character the same and continued to show that vulnerable side of her mm-hmm. as well and speaking, then speaking hmm? of the furious five like i think one of my other favorite scenes is when uh poe has his first experience trying to teach the five Yes. <laughs> he almost nearly kills them all. <laughs> oh my gosh. That I love was it. Great. So they, when they first find out that he's going to do this, they're all like, you know, the worst thing you can do, you can do is lose our respect. And well, <laughs> that kind of happened. That kind of happens. Yeah. But they're still friends, which I, I, I like that they, they did that. It's like, it's like we, we may, we, you may lose our respect, but you won't lose our friendship. Exactly. And like, I think the other cool thing about this film was like kind of Tigress's little like facial reactions to different things and stuff. Like when Poe's like telling all the pandas that he's going to teach them Kung Fu and you kind of see her in the background, like, <laughs> Those like behind him, like, the best thing. <laughs> she's just like, no, it's like, what the hell is going on? I know. Like when she's confused, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Anything. Uh, I just like, Shh, I'm teaching them kung fu during the whole montage and everything where yes. she's still not clicking for her like what he's doing and stuff she's just like we are so doomed we are so screwed and everything and it's like it's so it's some really great facial animation for oh, her because yeah. these are expressions you're not used to seeing on her but they're they work so well on her character <laughs> and it was like she was the perfect person to be the furious five representative at the panda village yeah and to like kind of show those reactions and everything so i thought that was really cool i really liked poe's dad i think they did a great job with him and kudos to brian cranston seriously great great voice work there i think they incorporated him really well i think his interactions with uh poe's adopted father yes the goose was the goose was really 
really great and everything because I kind of liked how like the goose was just was not willing to give Poe up and everything. He was so worried that this guy's swooping in and essentially taking his baby away. Yep. And everything, but then they're able to find the common ground that Poe is their common ground, and they both love and care for him, and they're able to make it up and like both be dads to Poe. And everything yeah, in their was, own way. I was way. so worried when they were introducing uh, Poe's biological dad. I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was so worried that they would uh, take Mister Ping, his adopted dad, out of the picture. Yes. Fortunately, that was not the case, and you know, good yeah. on DreamWorks for doing that and making sure to keep him in the film because that is what gave the film its more of its emotional center. I really I think. think so too, because it was like it was also like that subplot of Mister Ping dealing with potentially losing Poe and his fear and anxiety over that and everything and his inability to accept Li Xiao as Poe's biological father mm-hmm. and everything and like just really that conflict with him and it's something that happens every day and stuff I mean like these family dynamics so I think it's great that they're showing that two kids in that way mm-hmm. that hey Definitely. it's okay it's okay to have two dads and everything mm-hmm. they both are still love you the same I think one of my favorite uh, emotional scenes, I would have to say, of the film, though, was when Poe and his dad are looking at that photo of him as a baby with his mom. With the mom, yeah. And actually yeah. talking about the mom was was pretty heart-wrenching. Because we do yeah. a flashback of what happened, of what they showed us in the sequel. Yeah. With when she put Poe in the radish basket and had to leave off uh, the wolves and Shen. And well, she essentially... died. Yeah, she sacrificed herself to save her son and everything. And it's like, I, I was really glad that they connected that and showed that they still suffer some emotional pain from that mm-hmm. and everything and that they do miss her. And so I, was, and I thought it was like this really great bonding moment between the two of them while also connecting back to the previous film mm-hmm. and everything, not just like, oh, it, it happened, but we're not going to mention it yeah. at all and everything. It was like... I mean, that was some pretty, like, deep emotional stuff to show for a children's movie, and I thought it was very important to show. Oh, yeah, especially with the bond between those uh, those two characters, because that's something, mm-hmm. that's something that connects them both. Exactly, exactly, so. Other than the fact that they're, you know, they're blood-related. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> what else was like? There was another part of the film I was going to try and bring up, I was like, ah, it's escaping me. I, well, I will say, like, what my favorite line from the film was when Shifu and Poe are going up to the statue of Ugwe at night mm-hmm. and everything after Poe's, like, just kind of overheard all this terrible talk about him as a teacher and everything, and he's feeling really down on himself. And Shifu tells him, if you only do what you can do, you'll never be more than you are. That is a great quote. That was one of my favorite lines. It's a really great line because I think it, it and it's something to live by I think because it's essentially like saying if you never challenge yourself to go outside of your comfort zone to do something that you don't know how to do and everything mm-hmm. to learn something new you're never going to be more of a person and everything and that's essentially what Poe had to learn how to do was, that's part of the, that's the main theme of the film I guess yeah is learning how to do this thing that's really scary to him and he doesn't know how to do it and in order to become more of a panda than he, what he is currently, and everything to continue to grow. Essentially, mm-hmm. you never grow if you never try. 
So I, I really liked, I think that's one of the all-time best lines from Kung Fu Panda, uh, along with Uguay's line of, um, yesterday is history, tomorrow's a mystery, but today is a gift, that is why it's called the present. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that one. Yeah, I love that line too. I think that's the, the best line, period, from the <laughs> franchise, but this one was a very close second. Yeah. Because it was one of my favorite lines actually comes in like the latter portion of the film, but we can we can talk about that when we actually talk about the climax because that's actually one of my other favorite scenes. Oh in the yes, entire film because it, for mainly because we actually get to see the dragon warrior in his absolute prime. I know, and I really like the part where Poe realizes what he has to do. There's no hesitation or anything and stuff. He just, he does it. He sacrifices himself to take Kai back to the spirit world. It was, I was, at that point, I like, that was where I was at the edge of my seat. Like, oh no, they're actually going there. I'm like, I was like, oh my God, they're actually going to do it. Holy shit, they did it. Sorry, I just cursed. <laughs> but that's literally can, what I was thinking. That out. <laughs> but I was literally like, that's what I was thinking in a theater full of children. <laughs> And everything. I did not say that in a theater full of children. Let me just tell you. <laughs> and everything. I was probably like the only adult there by myself without kids. Um, <laughs> like an eleven something in the morning showing on a Sunday. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> well, when you live on your own, that's <laughs> what you got to do. Um, but yeah, that was so great. And then that whole spirit world battle where he basically is in his prime, and he nearly he nearly loses the battle. Yeah, he comes close. He comes very close, and then it's at that point when the pandas... I don't know, I thought that was kind of a little force that they all of a sudden, like, oh, we know what chi. It's like, oh, <laughs> look, everything. we can chi- We can use chi now. I know, I was, like, I was just kind of like, I was kind of like, eh, it's a little a little force, but I'll, I'll forgive it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like... There's already like, so much packed into this movie. I'm like, eh, you, it's like, I, I get it, they figured out who they are, so now they can do the chi. And use the chi and everything to give Poe what he needs in order to defeat Kai. So, and that that was really cool. I really like how Poe is essentially encapsulated in that chi dragon. That, that, that was so freaking awesome. Uh, it's just like, it's just that amazing battle between, like, essentially dark and light and everything. Mm-hmm. And Poe's just like totally being a huge dork the whole time still and, and it's funny because you could see like when he moves and he's being dorky the dragon moves and is being i know with him, and it's just like okay it, we're good it, this is still poe i know so it's like it's still poe but it's like dragon warrior master poe <laughs> and everything like the best version of himself ever <laughs> and, then, and then i love that he gets to see ugwe afterwards and yeah, get a little heart to heart yeah, they have a little heart to heart, and then he gets his staff, and oh, I love when he comes back to like the real world and everything, and 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 Shifu's like, Ugwe gave you his staff? Of course he did. Ugwe's <laughs> <laughs> just Shifu's just so done. <laughs> it's like I respect the guy. Don't get me wrong, I respect the guy immensely. Yeah, but I'm really tired of this all this I know. crap that I don't know about. He's just like, he oh my god. Me. I know. He's just like, oh my god, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it's like in the last movie and stuff where he's like, oh, you, you mastered inner peace at such a young age. <laughs> <laughs> so like, You're becoming a better master than I am in a very short amount of time. This, I know. Unner- this unnerves me. <laughs> yes, he's he's very annoyed. And I, I just, I love that about Shifu. <laughs> I think so. So yeah, that final sequence is is pretty incredible. 
And Probably the best, th- like the best animation. The uh, I mean, the, uh, overall animation. This film is, like you said, leaps and bounds over even over the yes, past. But just that unreal. one scene alone oh, yeah. with the dragon was just like. I think almost every single jaw was on the floor in in my theater when that happened. Oh, it was complete silence in my theater, and like I, I was in a theater full of children and everything. <laughs> so like you know, if the kids are quiet, it's good. <laughs> and like that's how you. Know. I really like watching animated films with theaters full of children because I, I like hearing their reactions too, and everything. And it's like they were getting pretty excited during this film too at like the same parts I was getting excited of course I'm like I'm sitting there like an adult and everything you know mm-hmm. being being super mature and stuff and these kids are like yeah and I'm like dude I am right there with you I am so there with you it's like, internally, I like internally that's where I am right I know now. it's like if I wasn't sitting around adults right now I would be screaming right there with you man <laughs> like <laughs> dude yes <laughs> I remember so, I was sitting oh. next to um a whole bunch of kids in the theater with um with my I was I went managed to go with my my boyfriend my brother and my mom because we're all big fans of this film. Nice. And um we were like there were uh, two families of kids uh you know on either side of us in the theater and uh, my mom was uh was taught was talking to one of the particular chatty ones but he was still very into the film because you know he would mm-hmm. he would go quiet like he was but then when certain parts would happen he would get really into it like um whenever. When Poe did the skadoosh thing, mm-hmm. the whooshy the finger hold, you know, he, the kid was yes. lost it. Oh my gosh, that's so Here's, cute. He's like, he said skadoosh. Oh yes, I love that little catchphrase of his. <laughs> he's got to say it in every movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, overall that whole ending scene was really great. And, really, um, really great. One of the things I was going to mention before we, uh, you know, try to get to the, like one other thing was um, how many callbacks that they did. Yeah, the they did a day. lot of callbacks. Not just oh. to the sequel, you know, to the um, to Kung Fu Panda Two, like we mentioned, what they had um, with Poe and his dad having the heart to heart about his um, their about the mom, right? But also, you know, when uh, Poe is talking about you know his insecurities about being chosen as the Dragon Warrior and being you know able to surpass you know. Mm-hmm. as a teacher mm-hmm. or even shifu for that matter and then right. you know, get clips back to um the first kung fu panda when he was chosen mm-hmm. and then you know kind of a resolution like um where Uwe tells him you know part of the you know i guess part of the reason why he was chosen but other than the fact that you know well like says there are no accidents <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, yeah it was all preordained mm-hmm. and i guess in a way and then you in in this movie you kind of find out why mm-hmm and it was really, it was really cool to kind of have that nod back to the first film, like a, that that takes on a whole new meaning now. Yeah, it's kind of that that closure and everything, closing the loop, mm-hmm. which was nice and everything. And I was kind of glad that they they kept this nice continuity between the three films and everything. And it's not forced either; it feels very natural. Oh yeah. So I love that. And then they close the whole movie when, you know, you have Poe and everyone, they're all practicing Kung Fu up at the rebuilt Jade Palace, and then you have what was it? The, uh, the I think it was, wasn't it uh, the Kung Fu fighting song? Yeah. In Wasn't it in Chinese? No, it was in was English. It? Oh, are you sure? I think maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe it was originally in Chinese and then they did it in English. I don't know. Yeah, because I could have sworn I heard like when they have it when all the characters are doing it in the courtyard of the Jade Palace. I'm like, I, I it's like, oh, this is Kung Fu Fighting. It's like, wait, that is in English. I'm like, 
I, I could have sworn that's how I heard it, but I could I could have been mishearing it. So sorry if I if I'm getting it wrong. I'm seeing it again on Sunday, so <laughs> you'll be able to double confirm whether. Yeah, I'll, I'll double confirm. <laughs> I'll let you know. Because the whole idea, if they, if they actually did the song in Chinese, it would be freaking like icing mm-hmm. on the cake. Yeah, but I, I think what really like fit with that song though was like kind of the lyrics were like before the battle, there's the battle of the mind mm-hmm. and everything, and like that—that's kind of what the movie's about—is this battle of the mind that Poe's having and figuring out who he is mm-hmm. and everything. So I don't know. I thought it was a good song choice for the film. Yeah, and they played that. That was in the credit sequence of the very first uh, Kung Fu Panda movie. So it was an, again another callback. Yeah, so it's kind of nice. I was like, cool. <laughs> so, would you think? Would you say this would be a uh, a good, you know, a solid trilogy to just, you know, end it here and yes. not have make any mo- more of these movies? They don't need any more because it's like, what are you going to do next <laughs> and everything? I mean, he he became he's he became the Dragon Warrior in the first one. He became a master in the second one, and now he's become a teacher in the third one. I mean, what does he become in the fourth one? A god? Yes. <laughs> I'm like I, I like I don't think there's anywhere else to go with this, and I feel like they closed up pretty yeah, much everything. Yeah, Poe's Poe's journey seems to be complete here. I mean, if they wanted to really bad, I mean, I'm sure they could probably do like a couple of shorts, maybe fo- uh, more shorts focusing on some of the side characters. Mm-hmm. But um, I think uh, yeah, I think as far as just the big overall big budget films, I think. They've said everything they need to say with this franchise. Exactly. And it's like, they don't have a good track record with going past there. I mean, even then, they really didn't have a good track record before with going with three. Because, like, you look at Shrek the Third, and it's awful. Yeah. Like, the only, the only part I like about that is when they go to the medieval high school. Yeah. yeah I, think, I think that part's hilarious. And it's, like, that the was, only that reason. That's a good joke. But it, uh, the film as a whole was very lackluster exactly and then they did a fourth one and then did they do a fifth one no i think they kept it to the fourth one and okay. the fourth one was the last one okay yeah because it's just like they just don't have a good track record and now it's like now they finally done another third film in a franchise well they madagascar too also as well like the madagascar by itself is good but mm-hmm. the sequels and then the penguin spinoff are really not that good <laughs> yeah they're they're not as they're not as a they don't complete the whole the whole no. picture. They're literally like just did. there. Whereas this one with the Kung Fu Panda trilogy and then the soon to be done How to Train Your Dragon trilogy, which that'll be done. We got two more years on that third film. Okay. Gosh, freaking darn it. Anyways, um <laughs> <laughs> I'm in pain. Um Aww. It's okay. Soon, Jill, soon. Uh, I'm going to cry during that one because they explain why dragons are no longer among us. And I'm like, well, shoot. Oh, oh no. Yeah. That's so, where they're taking the next film? Yeah, because that's how the book series is. That's what the book series is working towards. And it's, oh, my even, goodness. Even though it's loosely inspired off the book series, they're still working towards the same end game. Oh, goodness. Oh, my God. That's, oh. Yeah. the second one was emotional. Mm-mm. Uh bring a lot of tissues to the third one all right yeah i'll keep that in mind yeah but i don't see them doing another one for this unless it's a cash grab and the the director jennifer yanelson didn't really strike me as someone who would who would stick on the project for longer than she had ideas for yeah and and it just it just really felt like a finale it 
felt like the closure, it didn't feel like there was going to be a continue, continuation. Whereas at like the end of Kung Fu Panda 2, like it's obvious there's going to be another movie. Yeah. Because they show at the end that there's some pandas still alive and everything. Yep. And you see Poe's father like stand up from that kind of temple and just say like my son's alive he's like yeah that's like obvious sequel plug i know like it was an obvious sequel plug but it was a very exciting obvious sequel plug yeah so no no such plugs in uh in the finale of this film though no it was very it seemed like very like the story is complete and it even said the end at the end yeah, there you go. So, so I felt like, okay, we, we're done with Poe's story. We're done with his journey. That's it. And it was, it, what a journey it was. It was, it was a great journey. It's a very important one. And it's like, even though if you like, if you look at the franchise without any knowledge of what it is and everything, it looks really stupid and silly. Yeah, you know that I mean? was basically but, my impression of it the very first time I saw trailers. Yes. Yes. Mostly everyone's impression when they first saw the trailers for it. Yes. And then they actually saw the film. And it kind of blew everyone away with how yeah. many of the right notes it hit. Exactly. And it's like, it continued to blow people away. So it's like, it's it's one of those film franchises where don't judge it by its trailer. Actually, that just with any animated film, I don't think you can judge it by its trailer. And yeah, I guess the tra- yeah, don't judge it by its trailer. It's, it's basically like a don't judge it, period, you know, don't judge it film series, period. Just be from the Just from looking at it, you know, at least for the small little bits of it until you actually see the full thing. It's like you actually experience mm-hmm. it and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, especially with animated films because I feel like too often they use very goofy, silly trailers. But, I mean, you have to remember that their main demographic is children. That's true. So they're trying to appeal to children. They're not trying to appeal to adults unless it's an animated film made for adults like Animalisa or The Prophet or something like that. Yeah. Um, where they are clearly trying to appeal to the serious, mature adult. Um so like that's one of the I think the big things you have to learn when you go into animation to enjoy it is watch the trailer but reserve judgment until you see the movie. Although we can all agree that the Angry Birds trailer is the stupidest thing ever. And that movie is going to be the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, I'm I don't I'm not holding out any high hopes for that one. Um no. just I'm and I, I never really got into the Angry Birds video game to begin with, so my my mm-hmm. motivation for seeing that is even less, but eh. Who knows? Maybe it'll have something that will take us by surprise, but I'm, like I said, I'm not holding my breath. That's like saying Alvin and the Chipmunks would have had something. Eh. <laughs> I like to be optimistic. I'm very realistic, and <laughs> Angry Birds is going to have nothing, although those feathers are look pretty good. Hey, it's like, you give, it, give it some due credit. Like, it looks like it's I'll give it some money in it. I'll give it where its credit where its credit is due, but I feel like that's going to be a a topic for another time. Is that one? Oh, and like whatever that animated movie that came out in January, Norm of the North. I have heard no, no good things about that. Not even oh one no, good. Thing. I've heard I've heard terrible things about that. I had no desire to see that, anyways. Me neither. So. so. Yeah, that was not happening. But yeah, so Kung Fu Panda is pretty much done, and then the only. Well, the DreamWorks movie coming out this year, which I'm actually surprised there's two coming out this year, since they went to their one-a-year plan mm-hmm. to cut back on their budgeting and try to get out of the red, um, <clears throat> is Trolls. Yeah, that was the trailer that I saw when I uh, went to see this film. And uh, Yeah, I can't make any judgments yet. 
Yeah, so I'm, I already put my opinion forth on this trailer when we talked about it last episode, but it's, uh, it's different, and I It's really, very different. Wasn't really sure, people. It's like, there, there were any more troll dolls, like, to be sold, or, like, I haven't really seen one sold in a long time, so I'm wondering, like, okay, where did the, where did the, where did the premise for this spring from? But I don't know. DreamWorks knows. I don't know. I'm I'm very confused as well and stuff. But I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll see Kung Fu Panda live on in a Netflix TV series and anything. Like I mean, they had their own TV series on Cartoon Network for a while. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Did that very... officially end or? Oh, that's been done. I mean, anything that was a DreamWorks series running on a different network ended when Netflix obtained the contract with DreamWorks right. for original content. Right. So that that's been done. But it it never was a good series to start with. Anyways, I watched a few episodes of it and I was never very impressed by it. Um, okay. Yeah, it's like it's it's okay for the audience it was aiming towards, but it's like not quality. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised maybe something like that's in the works for Netflix. It's Who possible. knows? Considering how many series they have now based off their films, I mean, you have the Dragon series, which that's actually really good. Ah. Um, yeah, it's actually really good. Um, they have the Dawn of the Crudes now, which that's 2D animated. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I, think I have another friend that works on that one and everything, so it was exciting to see her name in the credits, but <laughs> sorry, Liz, I can't watch more of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Oh, you got Mr. Peabody and Sherman has their own series. Turbo has their own series. I think yeah, that's, that's it. Right they have a lot to their name now. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we did potentially see a Kung Fu Panda series on Netflix, either a CG or 2D animation. I would probably go more likely it'll probably be a 2D. I would prefer that, actually. If it was like a stylistically well done 2D, I would be sold. Yeah, same here. Yeah, because the only CG show DreamWorks has on Netflix right now is Dragons. And I bet just from looking at it, it's probably their most expensive show because they put... A lot of quality into that, retaining the quality from the films. Because I mean, that's partially why Dragons is so popular, mm-hmm. is for the visuals. So yeah, they haven't they they never really skimped on that. Even like the the previous uh, the previous uh, shows that they've had for Dragons has always had pretty good animation. Yeah, Cartoon Network. Yeah, when it was on there, when it was Defenders of Burke, and now it's Race to the Edge, and now it's like they're nineteen years old. Because this takes place, I think, a year before. Dragons 2, mm-hmm. I want to say. So they're all like about in their 20s in Dragons 2. And so this one, they're about 18, 19 years old and everything. And it's kind of amazing with that series, too, is that they've retained a lot of the original voice actors. Yeah, so, that's also that, pretty impressive. I know. So like you don't see that very often. But like at least yeah, I think three of the five teenagers are voiced by their original actors. So... And then David Tennant pops up on there sometimes. As, to, 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 he boy, he'll voice Snotloud's father. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for the episode. We talked about quite a bit today. Um, you know, just not just regards to Kung Fu Panda, but a whole bunch of other stuff and a lot of other DreamWorks projects. Like, I'm, like I said, I'm bringing the tissues for... <laughs> <laughs> for how to train your dragon three i'm still trying to wrap my head around that's like oh no yeah they're taking <laughs> such a dark turn yeah that's part of why we love it <laughs> yeah. 
But if you are interested in checking out our other previous podcasts, uh, we have a whole page for that on animationforadults.com. And if you want to get in touch with either of us, um, you can at least find me at Fail2Ninja on Twitter. And Jill, where can we find you? Uh, at Shieldmaiden on Twitter. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this week's podcast, and we'll talk to you again next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. In a little panda village, Maymay's dancing is adored. Twirling her ribbons, she knows she's destined for more. Finds a salmon tracks, she's gonna give this a try. First it's to it's gonna take a lot of practice. It's gonna take practice. She's gonna need a lot more time to be a new Chuck Princess. Yeah, I, I. Oh, that was weird. <laughs>